you're listening to a Two Jackets podcast. Check out more at twojackets.com. Welcome to Sham Fiction, the podcast where we break the first rule of fan fiction, that you have to be a fan to write it. We're Two Jackets Productions. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And I'm Marcus. Here's the format. Each installment, Andrew, Eric, or Marcus will be presented with a media franchise that they are unfamiliar with and challenged to write fan fiction about it. We'll start by giving the author some basics, like characters, overarching plots, and those special elements that make each franchise great. The author will then take this info, throw out what they don't like, add a generous helping of creative license, and come back ready to read their masterpiece for all of us to enjoy. It's fan fiction written by non-fans. It's sham fiction. This week's author is Andrew. Ooh, guys, did you did you just feel that? What? A chill going up your spines? A shiver in your boots, mayhaps? Guys, it's Ooh. still spooky tober. So uh, is that, that why, why my so pants scared? are wet? Oh well, no, that's just because uh, you need to see a doctor because you've got a problem. You got a pee pants problem. Uh-oh. More on that later, I think, right? Exactly. Yeah. You got it. It's it's related. You didn't even know, but it's related. What? Guys, how is it related to what you're going to be pitching to me here now? Well, Please. we'll get to that. So, Andrew, um, this week we're doing something um, special for for our, for part of our spooky tober, our whole <laughs> month of scary and or Halloween related things. Am I allowed to say Halloween? Are we saying spooky tober because Halloween is trademarked? I never asked. Is Halloween, Halloween trademarked? is not trademarked? <laughs> oh, good. Who Halloween? It? Who tried to tra- trademark it? Was it Sony? Did Sony try? <laughs> Are they doing that again? Andrew, I, Sony's trademarked. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> We're going to get sued. We're going down the rabbit hole like in The Matrix. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. We can't stop. We're on fire. All right. So, oh, oh, oh. I see what you did. Uh, yep. This, this week, uh, we're, uh, we're delving into the work of a, uh, of a writer that we all enjoy, yep. uh, partially because we all enjoy listening to the podcast that he is a co-host of and i'm talking about writing excuses the podcast and if you like writing podcasts podcasts about writing you know sort of like what we do uh writing excuses is much much better it is if you have the choice between the two listen to them yep for sure 100 percent of the time they're not smart but they're so smart (laughs) they are guys so smart uh, and, you know, one of those smart people is Dan Wells. And that's the author of the work that we're going to be pitching to you today, Andrew. And that work is I Am Not a Serial Killer, the first of the John Cleaver series. I was about to call it Trilogy. There have, they, he just keeps surpassed writing them. Surpassed it. He surpassed it. Increasingly uh-huh. inaccurately named John Cleaver Trilogy. <laughs> You got steal it. from yeah, Douglas Adams. Yeah, this is one that I cannot believe, having been listening to writing excuses for as long as I have, that I have not gotten a, around to the John Cleaver books. Like, that is... It's, yeah, it's a mystery I, I was, even I was unto guilty. me. I was guilty of this, too. I mean, heck, so another of the uh, of the series authors, Brandon Sanderson, I've, I've read, like, at least half a dozen of his books, but I never read a single Dan Wells anything until I picked this up like last week. And I, I think, am glad that I did. I think the original serial killer trilogy, which is I'm not a serial killer, Mr. Monster, and I don't want to kill you, is shorter than the first Stormlight book. <laughs> I think Isn't that's, that sad? That's about yeah, right. I could have read his entire uh his entire uh bookography. Uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> in the time it would have taken me to read one single Brandon Sanderson novel. And the Dan Well stuff is excellent. So I have to say, he's got this series. He has another young adult series called Partials, which I haven't read. He just started a new one. Uh, I think it's called Blue Screen or the Mirador yep. series. Yep, that's And the it's, all, it's all good stuff. And Dan's a good guy. Met him at a convention once. He's got cool hats. And he plays board games. And he writes really, really disturbing things. <laughs> which, which we'll might get not into be what you would expect out of a wholesome mormon man and that's usually uh, the that's usually the, the trick with these things <laughs> you got to be so. afraid of the the nice ones mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, that fits right into the theme of this book as well. You got to be afraid of the nice ones. You ready for this? You ready to talk about I am not a serial killer? I am ready whenever you are. Perfect. So as we mentioned, this is the John Cleaver uh, trilogy. Not really. <laughs> but John nope. Cleaver, the main character of this series is, is John Wayne Cleaver. Uh, and it is a first person story all about this this kid. In the beginning of uh, this first one, he is like 15. I want to say 15. Marcus, back me up on this, maybe. I think that's right. I he's can't in high confirm. School. Uh, he's he's a high school kid. Uh, <laughs> so, okay, he lives he's a in, a, in a small town called Clayton. We don't know where. It's any town USA. Clayton. Um, and he lives with his mother in a, a funeral home. His mom is a uh, mortician, and uh, and the their home is also the funeral parlor. So uh, this is a kid who grew up around corpses, basically, uh, which is interesting. Just right off the bat, I want to hear that story. Um, so I had John, a uh, I had a good friend who lived in a funeral home, and that's where we would hang out. We would oh. hang out at uh, my buddy's place uh, in uh, good old Clark, South Dakota. His uh, his mom was a mortician, and uh, we would help move the caskets <laughs> around when they needed to. That's ins- you should be not pitching with this. bodies inside of them. An untold <laughs> chapter in the history of Andrew Neil. <laughs> that's that's good to know. I'm kind of floored. That's good. Use it. Use yeah. your knowledge. Of this business, it will it will actually help. Details are good, and that's one of the things that's fantastic about this uh, this I am not a serial killer uh, book is that the details are so good because he goes into depth about the processes of embalming dead bodies yeah. and about John's fascination with that process, and he goes into detail about the sort of psychological uh, ticks that John has, which I'll tell you about right now. John Cleaver is a, uh, a, a, a sociopath, first and foremost. He, is well, a, um, he has antisocial personality disorder. Although uh, well, he's not 18 yet. <laughs> well, so he's that's, a sociopath. that's an important thing. Yeah. So he makes a point that before you turn 18, they can't call you a sociopath or say you have antisocial personality disorder. They have to call it conduct disorder while you're a minor. So uh, that's something that is a tenuous rationalization in young John's life. Yet he says it constantly that he's a sociopath. I think he knows. Well, yeah. he does know. Because um, he was told by uh, Dr. Neblin, his, uh, his psychiatrist. We'll get into him maybe in a little bit. Uh, but John... Uh, he's got these this social problems. He doesn't really understand people. He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't. He can't read uh, social cues very well. He has learned to kind of get by in the real world by just you know using uh, facial clues, just tricks he's learned, uh, things that he has learned to do that trick people into thinking he's normal. But he is very very different from everybody else and in fact he it it goes so far as as that he doesn't really think that he's human you know he doesn't he knows he doesn't exist on the same uh, human level as everybody else so he kind of it removes him from society in a lot of ways uh and really crazy fun thing about john cleaver is that he is obsessed with serial killers researches them sounds healthy yeah, knows everything <laughs> about them. He like he can just ramble off a thousand facts about any given famous serial killer. He knows everything about them. He finds them fascinating. And everybody else, of course, thinks that's super weird and scary. Uh, because, you know, maybe people would start thinking that he's a serial killer. He loves them so much. And, uh, and yeah, Marcus, what, uh, what else about, about this kid? Yeah, so the serial killer thing runs through to his core. You know, even his name, John Wayne Cleaver. Uh, there's the serial killer John Wayne Gacy. The last name Cleaver. You know, that's like a cleaver. You, you kill people with a cleaver if you're so inclined. He has these serial killer traits. <laughs> I hope so there not. are three. What was that? I said I hope not. 
I, I don't. <laughs> so if you're so inclined. inclined to kill someone with a yeah, cleaver, don't use a cleaver. Seek professional help. Wait a second. What are yeah. you talking about, Mister May- Carlson? <laughs> Maybe like a you know like a like a like a machete. So similar. <laughs> All right. Uh, so he has these three <laughs> traits that aren't necessarily causal to serial killing, but have a correlation. So these three traits exist in all documented serial killers. There's bedwetting, there's pyromania, and there is animal cruelty. And John exhibits all of those signs. And he's so afraid, he's never killed anyone, but he's so afraid that he might, that he's generated these rules that he lives by. In addition to trying to trick people into thinking that he's a human by mimicking facial expressions and learning to read emotions from faces, he says that he can't follow people he has this obsession where he'd like to stalk people he likes watching people but he makes a rule that if he keeps looking at the same person for too long he can't look at them for a week he has to avoid animals because he has that temptation to hurt them he won't even pet a dog and if he feels the need to hurt someone he gives them a compliment instead which is a really dark and interesting thing in the series because the worst thing he's thinking towards them the bigger the compliment is (laughs) Mm. Uh, so that's that's John and I think we're going to end up as we talk about these other characters going into a minor spoiler territory this book's a thriller it's short we recommend reading it if you have the opportunity or watch the newly filmed movie that's right they uh, they just uh, shot the adaptation and I say just shot meaning like over a year ago at this point uh, in Virginia Minnesota so it was made locally Yay. up north and we know yeah. some people who are in the production. Yay. We sure uh, do. Cool. And it stars Christopher Lloyd. Yay. Yeah. So, uh, that's Doc cool. Brown. Yay. Yeah. He's, a, he's like got a part. Guy. He's got a part in it. Professor Plum. Uh, <laughs> Judge Doom. His most famous <laughs> <Wow>. role. <laughs> uh, keep going. What else? What else, Andrew? What else is Christopher Lloyd known for? <laughs> Guys, we could be here all day. Let's keep it going. <laughs> uh, good evasion technique. All right. Uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, other important people in uh, John's life. Uh, first and foremost is his mother. That's mm-hmm. like the most important person in his life. It's He lives alone with his mom uh, at this funeral home. The His dad left years ago. Uh, kind of a kind of a crummy father also a mortician just fun fact um so he's got this this kind of strained relationship with his mother because she because he has so many of these problems and she doesn't really understand him he doesn't really understand her it's it's tricky they love each other but it's like how do you express that he's a teenager there's so many things happening she just wants him to be a normal kid he is anything but um, What's his mom's name, or is it just mom? I don't actually know. He does, in the first-person narration, refer to her as mom. Okay, got it. Yep. Uh, <coughs> fun fact about uh, about mom is she has a twin sister named Margaret. Uh, and the twin sister, so, you know, John's aunt, uh, lives in town as well, and is also a mortician, and works with them at the uh, funeral parlor. Um, and then they have a... Uh, John has a sister, an older sister named Lauren, who makes an appearance. She kind of works as like a desk clerk at the uh, funeral home, but she doesn't live there. She's an adult, um, and she doesn't like the family very much, or at least doesn't like their mom very much. Likes yeah. John just fine. But, you know, older sister sort of relationship... Uh, yeah, who else? And she was older during the abuse, too, with the father, which I think puts yeah, some so of that different in context, there. yeah. Well, so then you've got the, uh, the psychiatrist, Dr. Neblin, whom John confides in somewhat, but he's very cautious around him. He always makes Dr. Neblin share his notes with him at the end of the session. Uh, yeah, what did oh. you write down? You calling me crazy? No. Yeah, so he's just very worried there. But then we can talk about... Three people who show up at the school. We're not going to go much into them because they're not covered very heavily in this first book. But just if you have need for any of the school chums, these would be the ones to mention. Okay. So you have Max, who is the best friend. And he's kind of the... He's not actually a friend, right? Max is a self-obsessed guy. 
I think he's described as being having all the qualities of a bully, but he's too fat to be popular. So uh, he's very self-absorbed, and he'll talk endlessly while John can pretend that they're friends, right? So there's no two-way street there. And who else we have sad that way. Yeah, uh, we got we got Brooke, uh, Brooke Watson, who is a neighbor of John's, lives nearby, like like right next door. Okay. Uh, she's literally the girl next door. Hey, and you know what? That's all you need to know. Yep. Um, so and does do, he do, likes but, her? But does John like her? Is oh, he yeah. attracted to her? Okay, he is. Uh, and you know, but he's got his little traits where he tends to want to stalk people, and so that is definitely he. He generally avoids Brooke because he knows that he would totally stalk the heck out of her. Yep. Okay. And he's trying to avoid that sort of behavior. Um, and then uh, uh, this this guy I, I will mention, but he's barely in this in this first book. I think he makes a bigger appearance later. Uh, a guy named Rob, who is uh, Brooks. I don't know, not really boyfriend. I don't know what the deal is. He's just like a jock. He's a popular kid at school. He's a yeah. bully. And doesn't he's the kind like, of guy. Yeah, doesn't doesn't like who that, just uh, fight that, with John. Yeah. There you go. All right, picks fights. Picks fights. Sort of thing. John gives him a lot a of jerk. compliments. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it is true. Uh, yeah. So that's kind of our main cast. Oh, uh, there, I will mention uh, really quick across the street. There's another neighbor, um, Mr. Crowley. Uh, Mr. Crowley. Mr. Crowley, uh, played by Christopher Lloyd, um, in the movie. I have not seen the movie. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, and then his wife, Kay, they live across the street and they play a part, um, make appearances throughout. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the tone of this thing, Marcus, what do you, uh, how would you describe the feel of this story? So I think I can describe that by talking about what the main conflict oh, is, the external yeah. conflict, because it kind of mirrors yeah. the internal. So what happens being a small town they're the only funeral game in town, right? So all yeah. the bodies come through their uh, home, and John gets to participate in the autopsies and so forth when the county can't do them. So, well, they they don't do the autopsies; they do the the processing for the funeral. The so the if if a body has to go through an autopsy, that will happen through the through the city or whatever, uh, yeah. and then it will end up in there possession to prepare you know pump the get the embalming fluid in there get them all made up get them all dressed that sort of stuff and john yes. is involved in all that and he finds it uh, fascinating because <laughs> it's taking people apart putting them back together treating people as if they are not people that they are just pieces of meat oh and that's that's a huge thing that you have to get right in this he'll refer to bodies as it not him and, uh, or her. Yeah. And okay. his mom will insist, like, no, it's it's him. Say yeah. him. You know, acknowledge this is Mr. So-and-so. Yeah. You know, not it. Yeah. Uh, so what happens is some bodies start coming in that look like they have been murdered. Uh, maybe by, attacked by an animal, maybe by a human with a knife. We don't know. And the key conflict is John starts suspecting that there's a serial killer in town. And he thinks that he knows more about this than the police because of his obsession with the serial killer crowd. And he has to decide, is he going to try to find this person? And if he does, does he try to stop the murder? Does he just observe it because he's so fascinated? You know, this is the best thing that's ever happened to him is seeing these bodies come in. But what will he do and how will he react to that? when it's also feeding Mr. Monster, which is what he refers to the dark side of him as. Yeah, that's fun. Mr. And Monster? Mr. Yep. Monster, yeah. And so I think that sets a lot of the tone is this conflict. And the people that we mentioned from you know Mr. Crawley down to Brooke are the people where he thinks that he has a responsibility. These are the human costs to this action. So should he protect his neighbors? What is the right course of action? And, uh... Okay, and yeah. so he does feel a sense of, like, 
he, he wants to be a protector to people. Maybe. That's the thing. It's, it's a conflict for him. Uh, Andrew, this thing is written in very strong first person. It's a very cerebral story. Like there's a lot happening around him and John is participating in what is happening around him with these, with these, um, murders or what appear to be murders coming in and these bodies showing up. Um, but a lot of it is happening inside his head in that, you know, he is, is trying to piece this together, figure out what's going on. It, there's kind of a detective thriller quality to it in that way but he's also he has his own obsessions that kind of control him it's kind of where that mr monster thing comes in he refers to that darker side of his personality as mr monster because it helps to separate those from himself even though it's all him it's just him letting himself be him the darker side is the real john and he has to suppress those things so is he going to protect the people around him that are important to him? Or is he going to kind of dwell in that darkness while these horrible events are, are going on around him and his neighbors and his friends are getting killed? And would he only stop them because it's an opportunity to do violence that is excusable? Yeah. That's another is, conflict. Is killing a serial killer actually good for the town or is it just something he wants to do because he wants to kill somebody and tear them apart and take them apart piece by piece and examine the pieces okay so it's very interesting and very dark and i think that's a lot to go off of one thing we'll say and we we don't want to give too many spoilers is that john does have a theory or concern at some point that there might be something unnatural about the killings. So the bodies that come in have organs removed, and they seem to have been removed too cleanly. And that worries him. So is it a cover-up, or is it something weirder? Yeah, like every single body that comes in will have one key thing missing. So that is a mystery. I like that. Yeah. And that's it. That's uh, that's the pitch for I Am Not a Serial Killer. What do you think, Andrew? Oh, this is fantastic. I uh, I like this a lot. You think you can <laughs> you can dig into your darker side on this one? Yeah, yeah, definitely. But it's my favorite side of Andrew. <laughs> but I'm so cheery and affable. <laughs> I just like your descriptions of blood. <laughs> it is very violent. Uh, oh gosh so that's it any any, uh any questions no i think i got this okay bonus Uh, points bonus points yeah bonus points so for me i think what i want to see from you andrew and and i just i'm tempted to just say oh just give me the most gruesome description of a violent act but i think (laughs) that is like inherent in the uh, assignment you know there's grisly things happening i hope that we see some of them um so instead i'm just gonna say very vaguely i just want you to disturb me with a thought process of john's i want to see an alien and very alien string of thoughts from him rationalized because that is what hits you when you read this is you're like like it reads very naturally like yeah this sounds like a person but oh my gosh what yeah. Oh, that's how he thinks? That's disturbing. You know, I want I want a moment like that from you. Man, Got I it. love that. Yeah. So mine is going to be because I'm cruel and because you've done something well. Remember, Andrew, and listeners at home, if you do something well, everyone will ask you to do it again. <laughs> I want you to do some research. So I want you to bring in a real serial killer anecdote or a real super disturbing thing into this. Because John is extremely intelligent. And this whole story, he feels so detached from everything around him. So even when there is gruesome stuff, it's all very clinical. You know, he refers to the bodies as it. And he'll talk about Mm -hmm. the incision. And it's not, he doesn't understand these concepts of joy and love and passion. So have that detached and bring in something clinical. And, you know, if you, you counter that with Eric's bonus points at the same time, they'll combine into super-duper bonus points. 
Okay, Ooh. so so specifically like a clinical description, not well, but 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 still referencing serial killers. I yeah, I want a fact about serial killers, or a specific serial killer. So yeah, you could, could be bring referring in, to you know, any some of the actual serial killer, famous serial killers into the story, not as all right characters, but as life maybe killer. role models or idols. Yeah, got it. That's cool. I like that a lot. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, this is good, guys. This is a good assignment. I am looking forward to creeping you guys. I'm giving you the hebli jeeblies. I'm ready. I'm ready to be creeped out. Just go off and write. Good luck. Uh, awesome. Thanks. Be back in a bit. Bye. Hey, podcast people. If you like subscribing to things, I highly suggest you subscribe to Sham Fiction. Even if you don't like subscribing, it's, it's a good habit to get into. Why? Because when you subscribe, you'll get a new episode of Sham Fiction delivered straight to your magical pocket device every single Sunday. If you're feeling generous, you could rate our show as well. Either way, subscribing on iTunes is the best way to tell us that you're listening to Sham Fiction. And that helps us out greatly. So thanks for listening to the show. I hope you're enjoying it. Let's get back to it. Hey, Marcus, buddy, old pal. Uh, hey. Andrew's, Andrew's writing hey, some serial killer. Yeah, Or I perhaps so. proof that he is not a serial killer. That's what he'd like to think. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll see about that. I'll be the judge of whether or not he's a serial killer. <laughs> That's the, uh, the award for this one. Yep. We're, Andrew, if you write a good enough story, we won't turn you in <laughs> to the county police. For all those obvious murders you've been committing. Yep. Yeah, it's a good. It's a good. Uh, it's like a real world incentive. Yeah. For this, it's too bad we didn't tell him ahead of time that his freedom, his life as as a free man, was hanging in the balance. It's insane. You know, I'm in business school, and it's all about incentives, Eric. That's uh-huh. all we talk about. <laughs> so well, hopefully he'll uh, act cool under pressure. Yes. But uh, what do you what do you think? Like, what do you think we're gonna hear from him? I I don't know what to expect. I am what hoping he nails hear? the voice. Okay. Uh, that's that's a really important part of it for me, is the cold, detached, first-person voice. Yeah. Which has been a while since we've assigned a prose story where we're actually trying to get him to match the style as well as the type of story. True. Uh, but I'm going to give a fun bonus point because this is a dark story. Mm-hmm. We told him that Christopher Lloyd was cast in the movie, so I want a Back to the Future reference. If there's <laughs> any kind of... <laughs> If there's a character just named like, Marty, like, hey Marty, we gotta go. Yeah, if Biff like shows up, that's kind of what I want to see. Sure, I like so that. I'd be, I'd be happy about that. That's just fun. a little little fun thing with that's your fun. serial killering. I, you know, How I think you? my my bonus point is also going to be somewhat related to Chris Lloyd, but more like the uh, the character he plays in the movie version of this that I have not seen. Um, <laughs> I want him to. I mean, he's going to get all the points, absolutely every point from me, if he manages to nail what we didn't tell him, which is Ooh, spoilers. Which, which spoilers, everybody, <laughs> is that the serial killer in the story is actually his neighbor, Mister Crowley played by Chris Lloyd in the movie that I haven't seen. And furthermore, he's not just a serial killer. He is a monster. He is a demon in a human skin. Yeah. And so if we kind of get this sort of like thing, if it does turn out to be Mr. Crowley, and on top of that, it also happens to be like a monster supernatural version of Mr. Crowley, then he gets my points. And then if he's also screaming like Doc Brown about a time machine... (laughs) Then he just wins, you know, the entire show forever. Yeah, that's what I want to see. Yeah, we're just stacking these bonus points. Yeah, we're getting close to the end of the season. <laughs> we gotta, gotta up the stakes. Yep, yep. All right, let's uh, let's see if he can deliver. Let's bring him in. Hey guys, I'm back with a really happy and cheery story to share with you. You fail. That is not at all what we told you to do. You you told me My Little Pony friendship is slaughter. (laughs) Uh, I would love to hear that next week, maybe. Twilight Sparkle and the Glue Factory. Coming next week on Sham Fiction. Oh, gosh. Hopefully the bronies didn't listen to this one. My goodness. 
Um, but no, uh, I've written uh, something that hopefully will spook you in the spirit of Spookytober. Yeah, are we going to want to be in the same room as you ever again after hearing this one? You know what? I'm really glad you brought that up. Because <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, yay, it bodes well. Uh, all right, you ready for this, guys? Ready. Yep. All right, so this is uh, Andrew Neal's rendition of I Am Not a Serial Killer. Oh, Allegedly. <laughs> the moon was bright that night. The shadows of the trees were dark and distinct. I probably could have done without my flashlight. It would have been more discreet. But I feared losing my footing on uneven ground and possibly breaking an ankle. Why even bring up discretion? I thought to myself. Would it matter if you were seen? I was already being watched. I caught him out of the corner of my eye. His tall rigid frame lurked nearby, drifting along with me. His features were indecipherable, as always. He usually appeared in situations like this, when the lights were dim and the outcome unknown. Why are you here, Mr. Monster? I whispered. Hmm. What do you think is going to happen? He didn't answer. I heard the scream ten minutes ago. It was Brooks, I was sure of it. I'd been moving caskets out into the garage, like Mom asked, when I first saw her and Rob in the backyard next door. They didn't pay me any mind, few people ever did. They were laughing, he was chasing her around the yard, and then they disappeared into the trees. I heard the scream a few minutes later. When I heard it, I first thought about how playful they had appeared in the backyard, but the scream didn't seem to match. It wasn't a short squeal of delight or surprise, like I often heard from the girls in the hallways at school. This was deeper, more rich, more sincere. (sighs) So I grabbed a flashlight, and now there I was, trudging through the thick grove behind my house, breaking my first rule. Don't follow people, John, I thought. But this is different, (laughs) isn't it? Brooke may be in trouble. I glanced to my right to check on Mr. Monster, but he wasn't there. I felt a bit of relief for a moment. I was suddenly alone with the gentle buzz of the night. Then I stepped on a twig and heard a slight crack. The sound brought a shudder over me and a memory into my head. My arm misshapen, Rob standing over me. What did she see in him? I thought. Why him? After all that he'd... Another scream louder this time. I was either closer to its source, it was more powerful, or both. I still couldn't tell for certain if it was Brooke, but in any case, it did not sound playful to me. There was fear in that scream, wasn't there? I was so sure of it. I thought of Rob standing over me again, and felt my pace quicken. The steady brushing of the fallen leaves followed my steps. I remembered how he grinned, how I had not seen remorse in him that day over what he'd done. More twigs snapped below my feet. The buzz of the night fell away along with any desire for discretion. The ground began to decline, and I heard the faint sound of rushing water. I knew a small river was back here, it was about a quarter of a mile from my house, but I hadn't realized I'd come that far. The hill became more steep as I approached the river. I blundered my way down the slope, refusing to slow my pace until I slipped on a patch of loose dirt and leaves and lost hold of my flashlight. It tumbled down the hill and out of sight. The batteries must have come loose. I cursed, but continued forward without finding or without stopping to find it. I was almost at the river. I reached its edge at a steep point some twenty feet above the surface of the water. It flowed swiftly there causing the sound of rushing water to fill my ears and drown out any other noise. I looked around for any sign of Brooke or Rob. I didn't have to look long before I saw movement to my left about thirty yards down a gradual slope. They were in a patch of long grass on the outside edge of the rocky river shore. Rob was on top of Brooke, pinning her to the ground. I thought of Rob standing over me, my arm bent where it shouldn't have. I dashed forward, 
As I advanced, I began to hear Brooke. She seemed to be struggling against Rob. I could hear her groan and grunt as she attempted to break free of his grasp. As I grew closer, her voice became more and more clear. And so did the scene. I ceased my advance. I froze. I was about 15 yards away from them, and everything was in view now. Rob's pants around his ankles. Hmm. Brooke's legs wrapped around him. She moaned as he thrust himself into her again and again and again, muttering affirmatives and curses between each breath. Oh, God, she cried with between clenched teeth. Right there. Oh, yeah, right fucking there. <sighs> Indeed, I thought. Right fucking there. I felt idiotic. What had I expected? For Rob to be like Ted Bundy luring his female victims to their demise with his charm and good looks? He's an asshole and a thug, not a remorseless killer. And now that asshole was fucking the girl next door. I stared at them, thrust after thrust after thrust. I just couldn't understand why Brooke would go all the way with a guy like him. She's an idiot, I thought, a heat welling inside me. They're both idiots. And you're the remorseless killer, a voice whispered in my ear. I felt a delicate touch on my right shoulder. I turned away from the asshole and the girl next door to see the source of the touch. A hand of long, black fingers. It rested on my shoulder for a moment, then ran itself down my arm in a light caress until it reached my hand. I was holding something. I hadn't noticed it before then. A kitchen knife. <laughs> when did I get this? I thought. I'd been in the driveway moving the caskets out into the garage. Then I'd heard moaning caught in my ears, pulling my attention back ahead. Out of the shadows behind where the asshole and the girl next door lay, the dark figure of Mr. Monster appeared. He drifted right up next to them, but they paid him no mind. He stretched both arms outward, as if presenting them to me. Two lovers, all alone. I thought of Lake Berryessa, 1969. There had been two there that day, too. They'd been a little older than these idiots before me. They were college students, but they had acted similarly. They had wandered off alone for a picnic by the water, and they were met by someone they didn't expect. <laughs> a man in the hood of an executioner. The man only played that role for one of them that day, although he'd intended to end both of them. He'd thrust, and thrust, and thrust his knife into them, and still one got away. That man called himself the Zodiac. <laughs> He raised the knife before me, or I raised the knife before me. It appeared to be a tool capable of succeeding where the Zodiac had failed. Mom always kept the kitchen knives as sharp as the scalpels in the prep room. I took a step forward, and another. The thin form of Mr. Monster expanded outward behind the asshole and the girl next door, forming a curtain of black around them. Their entangled bodies were now all I could see, moaning, grunting, I could focus on nothing else. The same question turned over and over in my mind. Why him? Why him? Why him? And then they switched. The asshole rolled over and the girl next door positioned herself on top of him with her back to me. As she did this, she tossed her long brown hair and it caught the moonlight just right to cast a brief shimmer. It was so quick, but it halted my advance. I observed the pale, smooth skin of her back. I thought of that skin, under fluorescent lights. A body resting supine on the clean metal surface of the prep room table. I reached out to touch its cool, unblemished surface, and saw that my hand had changed. It was now black, with long fingers, like the hand of a dark shadow stretched against a wall. I pulled the hand to my chest and looked back down at the body on the table. Its perfect, pale surface was no more. Now it was perforated by narrow holes surrounded by purple skin. Knife wounds. Kitchen knife wounds. Oh. How many? Fifty? 
70, 100. More and more seemed to split open, as if a phantom knife were continuing its work. I turned away from the body, and was met by Mr. Monster. Even under the bright fluorescent lights, his form was dark and indistinguishable. He blocked my exit. Get out of my way, I said, fists clenched. This is what you wanted all along, he replied. His voice was always hushed and flat, his emotions as blank and indecipherable as his appearance. No, it isn't, I urged. Why else would you have grabbed the knife? He asked. I I didn't. You did. I felt sweat beating on my forehead. Why else would you have followed them? I... I heard a scream. Did you really think that other boy was a threat? The scream... Brooke! I turned back to the body, punctured, broken, lifeless. It would not toss its hair again and catch the moonlight. Do what you came here to do, Mr. Monster whispered. No, I replied without turning to face him. Kill them, he urged. No, I felt heat welling inside me again. Kill them, he repeated. No, sweat dripped into my eye. Kill them, he hissed. I closed my eyes and shouted back, No! It was suddenly calm. There was nothing but darkness and silence around me. Then, What the fuck? A voice asked. I opened my eyes. My vision was blurry as my eyes adjusted. I was no longer in the prep room. I was standing on the shore of the river behind my house, and a guy I hated was having sex with a girl who'd always shown me kindness. Oh my god! I heard Rob shout. Brooke screamed. This was... This time, there was absolutely no mistaking the fear. I turned, and I ran. I ran as fast as I could up the slope along the river. Who the fuck are you, you fucking perv? Rob shouted after me. I didn't turn around. I just ran forward. I didn't want them to see that it was me. As I ran into the trees, I heard Rob and Brooke continue to shout. I focused on their voices. They were angry. They were scared. They were confused. But they were alive. I broke a rule tonight. My first rule. I'd given in to what I've worked so hard to hold back. But when faced with that opportunity to act on it, I didn't. That means something, right? I thought as I ran. Whatever you say, Mr. Monster replied. The end. Oh, <laughs> oh lordy. That was, a, that was more adult than I was expecting. <laughs> was, uh... <laughs> wow. Yeah. Damn. That was fantastic. And dark. It was very dark. Disturbing. And all the things I wanted and more. Good. Uh... I'm, I'm processing here. So it wasn't what I was expecting, but I enjoyed it a lot. I thought you yeah, had a very good. interesting interplay between this personified Mr. Monster, which we do not see in the series, and mm-hmm. John himself. Is a cool touch. Yeah. And I liked that the Mr. Monster was very monstrous. It wasn't just a monster for being the dark side of him. There was something more to it. And there's Kinda. that question of, was it a real thing that actually gave him a knife? You know? <laughs> that was a fun little uh, mystery. Sure. Uh, yeah, no, I, this was very effective for me. I mean, we wanted you to kind of hit this first-person point of view. We wanted you to try to, to nail this creepy, sort of inhuman quality about John uh, and how he processes things. I mean, my bonus points were all about, like, you know, disturbing, inhuman rationale. And you just, you did so well with it. I loved it. Loved it. (laughs) I think this is one of my favorite things that you've written just because it is so different. It's not your normal voice. I think you, you went for something that was different, maybe outside your comfort zone. 
and you really rolled with it and mm. I commend you for that. So could you uh, kind of tell us what that was like for you? Like how this, how this process went? How'd you feel about it? Well, I can tell you, uh, this might seem rather macabre, but I really enjoyed writing this. <laughs> um, nice. This, this, I, when you, after I received this assignment, I was just giddy. I was like, this is, this is perfect because I wouldn't consider myself like a full blown horror, like fanatic. I'm not the sort of person that watches every horror film that I can get my hands on, but I do appreciate a really good, creepy horror film. And, um, after I received, heard, you know, Marcus's bonus points with like, you know, doing a little bit of research and um, bringing up some sort of like real serial killer, um, my first thought was to the Zodiac because as a movie buff, I'm a huge fan of the film Zodiac, uh, David Fincher's film from about 10 years ago. And I always think of that scene, the Lake Berryessa scene from that movie as like one of the most terrifying things that I've ever seen. And I was like, how can I do, like, kind of, like, do something similar to that? You know, how, how can I kind of loop something like that into John's world? Um, and so it just kind of, like, all fell into place after that. And uh, the image of Mr. Monster, even though I, I understood from your description of Mr. Monster that he wasn't, a, like, a, a separate character of John, that he was just what John called his dark side... Um, I like the idea of personifying it because the imagery that I paint here of Mr. Monster is something that terrifies me. Um, that idea of a dark figure looming in the corner or just out of sight, like that imagery freaks the hell out of me. And so I wanted Mr. Monster to look like that because that scares me. It's a nice. great yeah. visual. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, that's how it kind of came together. Awesome. Dang. Uh, Marcus, what do you uh, what do you think about this whole thing? Yeah, so I I enjoyed the story. I don't think I was as thrilled as you were, Eric. Oh. And I'm trying to process here still. Uh-huh. Uh, what threw me is that I felt John had more of an understanding of emotion, more access to his emotion than we see in the original story, and how I, he works as a sociopath or you know a future sociopath. Uh, the there just wasn't as much of a disconnect as I would have liked to see, so that that threw me off. Um, when he was processing these these huge things, uh, one of the things that I love in the series is that John is so introspective about how anything any stimuli affects him or doesn't affect him. Like if he saw Rob and Brooke together. And he goes, should I care about that? You know, is this something I should watch? You know, is there an element of modesty here? Am I more interested by this thought of her on the slab than the perhaps arousal of seeing them having sex? Um, So that was an element that I thought was missing. But as far as the story goes, if I look at it as a separate artifact, you know, not part of the book, I think he made some really strong choices and the the visual image of him just having the fantasy about her on his table that was so fantastic and visceral and that actually was probably i think the closest thing that we see to the i'm not a serial killer series because that's how he pictures people in the series and it gets really creepy so that was spot on oh okay he so he has like these like i like visions yeah, like that's his fantasy. It's like, ooh, I could I could bring them in and take out the organs and you know, like just it become the the person becomes an it to him. Yeah, and Andrew, so that was I think wonderful. I think you went you know a step beyond what the book does. You know, you made it an actual visual. You, it's not that he thought about what she would look like on his table. In your version, it was she is a corpse on your table. You know, yeah. So you kind of took it a step further, even more towards the disturbing. Um, which I am very happy with. This yeah, it was very affecting. Good. Yeah. It made me feel things. It made me freak out a little bit. I'm like, oh my God, did he do it? Did he Did he actually murder these people? You know, it's like, <laughs> are we jumping through time? Because it's like he doesn't have a complete sense of control over himself. You know, he's kind of, he's an unreliable narrator in that way because he he's like, he looks down. It's like, did I pick up this knife before? Or did the, did, was it just given to me? You know, like, how, 
time and causality are shifted in this in a way that is mm-hmm. so effective that makes you actually fear for the results. Because when, you know, he's visualizing her dead body on a slab, like, I literally thought he had done it. I'm like, oh, my God, he's the serial killer. Like, straight up in the series. The title lied the to title us. The title lied. Oh, no. Um, and you did a good job. I mean, you kept that tension. You made me fear that he was actually going to do it. And the book does that so well. Yeah. So I think you nailed well, that aspect of it. So so the book, it, it does, like, stuff like that where, like, you think that he's going to like act on things or like it, 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 it is, is it unreliable narrator sort of stuff in the book? Uh, a little, it's, he doesn't understand enough to be reliable, right? So he, he misinterprets things and he misinterprets maybe how he's feeling because he doesn't think he's human, okay. uh, but he's not lying to the audience. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he always says whatever his version of the truth is, right? That's, that's how I read it. Yeah. That's fair. Okay. But I will say on, on the note that visual of putting him on the slab, putting her on the slab, uh, this was an amazing thing because I, I'm picturing it in my mind. You know, you're, you're making this mental picture. And then I'm like, oh, that's gross. And then you say 70, 80, 100. And I'm just, <laughs> I was like, I was actually looking at something and then it just started getting mutilated and horrifying. And that affected me in such an amazing way. So that okay. was a really impressive thing. It was like, oh, you made me picture one thing, and now, oh gosh, what's happening? <laughs> I didn't sign on to picture that, but I'm in too deep. Uh, <laughs> good. It, 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 so the, the the imagery was there. Yeah, the phantom knife in. imagery. Ooh, yeah. yeah, loved it. Uh, Andrew, you're you're a fan, a big fan of the Lord of the Rings series. Um, <laughs> Was it an intentional adding the line met someone they did not expect? It wasn't until like as I wrote it, I was like, "Oh wait," which is why I laughed at that because I'm one just of those picturing that Gandalf slash Saruman from Two Towers and that voice, and I, I just had to check if that was intentional. It's kind of similar, you know, yeah. like they they meet this guy in the woods. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're all just going at it, and then they meet this yep. guy in the woods. Yep, Gimli yeah. and Aragorn and <laughs> Legolas are just oh. having good times, and then oh. they meet someone. They On next week's expect. episode of Sham Fiction, we're going <laughs> full slash. Oh boy, <sighs> that's hot, right. guys. I'm all. Are we at score? I'm all are steamy. Sc- yes, score time. <laughs> score time. Um, Marcus, you kick it off. All right, so I, I like the story. You had some of the best imagery, I think, that you've written on the show so far. And there's good tension to it. Good story concept. Um, I do have to dock some points because I feel like I didn't get that picture of the prose that we see in the book as much of him questioning his humanity and processing mm-hmm. through his experiences. Okay. Um, you did get the bonus points. I liked both the Ted Bundy and the Zodiac references. Oh, yep, so that, was, yep. that was well done. You did not get the secret bonus points, as far as oh. I'm aware. No uh, okay. Back to the Future reference, which is... <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? Because we told you Chris, uh, Christopher Lloyd was one of the characters in the film. Oh, yes. So I just wanted him to come up, John, we gotta go back in time! <laughs> <laughs> or even just have Chris Lloyd in it, you know, like if I would have included that character, and just yeah. be like... Johnny, we gotta go! <laughs> or just, just walks by a DeLorean in the driveway. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so th- that's that's Seeker's Bone Punch. But uh, I'm going to give you 85 out of 100 purple stab wounds. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, God. That's yeah. fantastic. Oh, yuck. All right. Thank you, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stab you 85 times. Oh, that's cute. That's cute. It's a treasure. Uh, uh, Eric. Yes. Uh, Please. So, I loved it. I loved everything about it. I got no complaints. You took me to a place that I did not expect. <laughs> and you just, you went full dark. You went full creepy. You know, when, when he was approaching them in the woods, I'm just like, oh, they're totally banging, aren't they? They're to- oh, they are. And just like your description of that, that you didn't shy away from that. And that he's kind of like lingering his thoughts on this. And then lingering the, his thoughts on the murders. And it's just, ah is so visceral and good. And I think you did a fantastic job. Hey, thanks. You didn't get my secret bonus points, which is also Chris Lloyd related. Uh, 
because uh, you know what? I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you because we told the audience in the prediction segment what's really happening with Chris Lloyd. My bonus point was that you would just nail what his character is from the book, but he didn't factor in. That's fine. I'm going to let you read the book and discover it for yourself. Yeah, I I, I want to read this book. Yeah, I do. I do. How do do I do that? Well, you know, maybe I'll get to that. But first of all, I got to give you your score. Um, Yes, please. You didn't get my bonus point, but you got my or my secret bonus points. But you did get my regular bonus points, which is a to disturb me with an inhuman rationale and just the existence of Mister Monster as a physical, this this physical rationale for everything he's doing. It disturbed the heck out of me. I there's so much. Your whole thing kind of wraps into this bonus point. So. Sure. nailed it 100 percent. so cool. your score for me is going to be 10 out of 10 perfectly intact uh human bodies on your slab all, oh, great. all the organs stacked, right where they're stacked supposed up to be. on top of each other yes. is that it's <laughs> just a it's a corpse stack you're playing your your gosh darn gosh darn <laughs> You can say goddamn. I've swear, I've already dropped the f bomb several times in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did upgrade our rating. Uh-huh. I'm just thinking about this 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 Lincoln Log style stack of corpses, <laughs> and it's really messed yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Are they stacked like like uh, like an X? Like like you throw one and then you throw one over I, the I was other. Kind I'm, of I'm thinking... doing things with my, my arms, and I'm hoping that the viewer can or the like like can how see. you build a strong fire. Yeah, it's the strong fire. It's the two beside each other, and then you yeah. perpendicular to more. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Lincoln logs. Come on, guys. Yep. Yeah, uh, you got that's it. your score. You did great. You made a lovely log cabin of corpses for me in my <laughs> mind. Uh, and if you if you want to uh, read this book, um, just you know, bookstores, um, you know, wherever books are sold. Um, yeah, we've, we've, we've seen we, a couple we, places. Yeah, a few places. I, I got it. Uh, I got it in like a digital book in that like the digital bookstore. Uh, often yeah. called Amazon. Often, they are great. Uh, often there's called also a movie, that. guys. I I haven't seen it, as I've mentioned, but maybe you should. You should has good reviews. Check we will out. see it. It's just just uh, just came out while we were recording this. So yeah, 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 perfect timing. I'm I'm excited to check it out and read the book as well. I'm, I'm not sure what order I'll go in, which uh, because I'm a slow reader. You should read the book first because it, it it's not a slow read. You start okay. reading this thing, you're going to keep going with it. Uh-huh. It's a quick one. Uh, so I like this is that. Dan Wells. Dan, Dan Wells, Wells. Listen to his podcast, Writing Excuses. That too. Do that. The book is I Am Not a Serial Killer. There are four or five sequels at this point, and they're they're all great. And they're huge in Germany. Huge in Germany. So, Germans you know, love not Germans. being a serial killer almost as much as David Hasselhoff. Uh-huh. <laughs> Perfect. And on that <laughs> at least note, they love. I, I love. The, they love not to. I will say. I'm just. I want to put a quick note here at the end of the podcast that uh, um, I did do research in this, um, and I will tell anybody that if they're writing something about serial killers, to really you got to have a stomach for that stuff. Mm. Even when you're reading, like also, you know, just brief little listicles about serial yeah. killers, you know, or brief little like articles there's some really screwed up shit in those you know also maybe don't do this research at like uh your high school or a public library might be a yeah. little go somewhere private a little suspicious you know, make sure you I, have I, I went incognito on my browser at home because Good. one i just didn't want to have search results start popping up <laughs> related to that like some sort of like facebook ad pop up related you like serial killers uh, <laughs> you know, just some of the pictures. Like, I saw pictures of John Wayne Gacy, yeah. like as the, you know the clown killer. Yep. Like pictures of like him at a kid's birthday party, and I'm like, Ooh. oh god, you know, it's the sort of shit that just haunts your nightmares. <laughs> so you mentioned listicles. Is there like a BuzzFeed's 25 serial killer faux pas or something? <laughs> <laughs> there is. Uh, I don't think. The Huffington Post, I think, had like a seven most terrible serial killers from America. There are plenty of listicles out there about serial killers, folks. They do exist, um, and uh, they are terrifying. Uh, and th- so, I'm terrified that this is the first time I've ever heard anybody use the word listicles. So uh, oh. that's fantastic. I've learned something. You, you lived, you lived a happy, innocent life until now. It's all downhill that's- now. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.
Sham Fiction is produced by Two Jackets Productions, which is Eric Carlson, Marcus Mann, and Andrew Neal. Special thanks to Reed Reimer for providing the music. For a full list of episodes and to read this week's fiction, visit shamfiction.com. Follow us on Twitter at shamfiction, and please, don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. Sham Fiction. Write what you don't know. Tidings, brave travelers. Tis your sham guide, Andrew, here to lead you to the next stop on the Spooky Toba Trail. We'll be passing through Mirkwood and onto a small Midwestern town harboring dark secrets. A young boy has vanished. A man with no face has been sighted nearby. And a weird girl has been found lurking in the wood. The cast of a twenty-sided die may prove your fate here. Alas, whatever the result may be, it's bound to be a little bit more than strange. Next time on Sham Fiction. <laughs>